Maybe it's the moment when you've corralled blog posts for the week, made sure your social channels are all scheduled out, or you just juggled 10 different points of contact all while meeting all of your deadlines. Or in the effort to be where everybody expected you to be, you finally hit that wall. You're overwhelmed. What was once a straight line of one thing after another has become something akin to landing a plane at LaGuardia. Messy, congested, and razor-thin margins between success and failure. In this week's Is There 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 podcast from the Graphic Machine Digital Agency, we explore if the clinched anxiety of modern marketing is inevitable or if it's possible to find another way in what we are calling the overwhelmed edition. I'm Brian Jones, and with me is Patience Jones. Hello. To discuss this and what is now and next in the world of marketing. The idea behind this comes after reading an article that was published on entrepreneur.com. The antidote for overwhelm is asking for what you need. And the gist of that article is essentially that we don't take ourselves into the equation in setting up relationships, at least business relationships, where we say, this is what I need to be successful in this relationship. We're just constantly trying to meet other people's expectations. A zero-sum game at a certain level because you're constantly ratcheting up or people keep expecting you to be faster and faster. They don't expect that you set one level and you just keep that level throughout the entire process. In marketing too, especially in small to medium-sized companies, you often have a situation where you have one or two or maybe three people sort of running a marketing effort, but you may have the expectations that you're competing against a conglomerate that has people assigned to each individual task. As such, you may find yourself a little bit overwhelmed trying to meet all of that same demand that you have a, a team of 50 running versus having a team of two or three. Is that inevitable because all these things have to be met or is there a way to think about it in a different way. The idea of making a relationship with a client, not mutually beneficial, but that you each have these responsibilities to the other is something that is great in the abstract and really hard to set up in practice because clients of all sorts generally view the relationship as the thing that I'm giving to you is money. (laughs) And the thing that you give to me is time, (laughs) time, services, counseling, whatnot. So to say to a client, you know, okay, I need you to do X, Y, and Z. You say it in a little more gentle manner, but you still have to say it. It's really hard to have that conversation. And it's really hard to get the client to understand that that's important for them to do. I often have to shake the can of pennies as it were for myself and say like actually to be the best version of myself for a client I need this set of of parameters to be true but what is really difficult is asking for that. I think sometimes we tell ourselves well the client isn't expecting this or the client isn't going to understand how much work they're asking of me. Well, and I think it it goes into any business where you're providing a service or you're providing even a product. There's a expectation that people come to and it may be expressed, it may be not expressed. And it's the not expressed that often for me is the source of the has it been met. And I think that that's where I begin to put some new systems in place for myself that I try to have as many of those conversations up front. These are the scenarios that we're going to, we might find ourselves in based upon the kind of work that you're asking to be done. Easier to have those conversations before the situation actually exists than trying to have them after the fact. Because after the fact, there's the potential for there to be an emotional response to things rather than an abstract sort of like, if this were to happen, how do you want to be notified? Because there's a, there's a fine line between overwhelming a client at the beginning of the process with too many conditionals and then they're like, oh, you know, enough. But having a few that you find keep coming up over and over again can be really helpful as a dialogue point. And there's an end in sight. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that can really contribute to the feeling of being overwhelmed. One of the things that 
beyond the service provider, there's the day-to-day marketing, and this impacts everyone. And with the multitude of channels that are available to you to market to people, you can often feel as though, one, you have to do all of them, and two, that you have to do all of them all the time. And how do you think there's no good rule? This is absolutely the rule for everyone. And that's kind of where a lot of people, especially if you're running a marketing department, may feel stuck sometimes. There's all these great tools out there. How do I go about evaluating what is useful for me, what new technologies, and how often do I need to refresh my my knowledge base on this particular topic? Thinking about what types of content and what your marketing goals are. Sometimes I feel like, you know, a a skipping record saying this all the time, but it is still true. You have to think about what it is that you're trying to achieve. Who are you talking to? What are you trying to tell them? And what do you want them to do when they have that information? For example, maybe I'm targeting new customers. My target demographic tends to be primarily on Instagram. And what I want them to do is sign up for my new subscription service. So now (laughs) I know what I should be doing is figuring out a way to use Instagram to get them to convert to sign up. And I can use other things. I can post on LinkedIn. I can do whatever. But if I'm prioritizing, I should be thinking about it from the standpoint of what is my message? Who needs to hear it? And how do they need to act after they've heard it? And I think you hit on a key word there, which is prioritizing. Impossible to do everything, especially if you're in a small to medium sized business. You can't do everything well. Yeah, that's true. That's true for pretty much any size business. But uh, focusing on those and allowing the other things to be things you keep an eye on, but maybe they're not actively part of your process. Which I think is is why thinking about it from what am I trying to achieve here is better than having, for example, a 10-page manual that says every Tuesday we post to Facebook. Every Thursday we you know, write a LinkedIn post. You could certainly have those kinds of schedules. You need to be thinking about, okay, well, what if our sales go in a different direction? Then what are we doing? Instead of taking the channels, kind of trying to work upward, start with what the business goals are. Are they to increase revenue? Are they to increase awareness? Then what are the more discrete tasks that you're going to do to achieve that goal? So if it's to increase revenue, is it getting people to buy more? Is it increasing the number of your customers? And then each one of those tendrils has a particular marketing tactic associated with it. An important thing to take away too is that in there's a lot of data available on all these pieces. And that alone can be overwhelming and can yeah. feel sort of never-ending in its ability to provide you granular information about a particular tactic or, or movement. Find the things that matter to you and use those and make sure that they matter to you in a way that you can translate into actionable intelligence. And what I mean by that is something that you can say, okay, I know for every thousand people that come to our website that I get 10% of those to convert to clients. If I need to have more clients, then I need to increase the traffic to my website. It matters that how long they stay on the site, maybe that doesn't matter as much and I don't pay as much attention to that. There's all these pieces of of information that are out there, making sure the one that matters to you is the one that you're focused on. The one that matters to you, make sure you also understand it. Make sure you understand in a very meaningful and deep way. What is it measuring? How is it doing it? And just like if you're somebody that weighs yourself all the time, the rule is you always use the same scale because even if it looks like it's calibrated the same, every scale is slightly different than another scale. So in order to know consistently what you weigh, you have to use the same scale. Same is true of analytic systems. You can keep trying new ones to see how they work. You can add on. But if every week you're looking at your analytics with a different tool, you're going to lose your mind and you have nothing meaningful. Beyond 
understanding what the metrics are and on a more human or personal note, have a check for yourself in the day-to-day basis. And when you start to feel that feeling creep in where all of the weight of all of the choices that have to be made, the expectations that have to be made, all of the everything that you have to do, and it feels like it can never be done and that take a deep breath, step back and have some process in place for yourself to help you walk that through. The surest way to get nothing done is to feel you're overwhelmed. And overwhelming a slightly more dark note, um, overwhelming can go sometimes from feeling really overwhelmed by, you know, your daily calendar to feeling overwhelmed by life and feeling depressed and feeling anxious. There's a great entrepreneur who I'm fortunate to call a friend. His name is Miha Baldwin and we'll put his Twitter handle on the page. He's been sort of a leader in this movement of taking the isolation out of the kind of work that we do and making sure that everybody's got a support system. And On a slightly brighter note, <laughs> bring it on back up. Hope. Hope is always bright. Yes. Well, I think the takeaway from that is really there isn't value in being overwhelmed because in and of itself, it is a block. Finding ways to mitigate that is really, really important on a day-to-day basis, both for your own sanity, but also to keep productivity kind of at a at a reasonable level. And moving into that front, um, I have a little bit on the now that uh, relates to this and some changes that are happening. I'm not feeling overwhelmed and I'm feeling that I can process this. Excellent. Forge ahead. Social media for a while has been kind of undergoing a bit of a transformation where we've gone from everything that everybody said was sort of presented to you in real time to more streamlined, curated lists that were coming out so that the tools themselves were beginning to, to curate for you in advance kind of what, what the big points that have been going on since you last checked in. And this was to sort of deal with the overwhelming nature of social that you could never catch up and you were always feeling more and more behind. Well, Instagram sort of joined, it was the last one of the big services to join this movement in the last week or so they began testing that. And so now things will begin to highlight at the top of your list that are maybe through their algorithm have been receiving more attention. So hopefully to to provide you a better experience. But what this means is that it's the end of just any old message getting out there. And so that having to use the tools and not surprisingly, these things have to make money that paid advertising is going to become more a part of the equation. On the one hand, it's more tailored and specified based on your activity. On the other hand, it's really just ad targeting. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) That, That is all. That's all I have on that. And I'm supposed to be not annoyed by the ads because they've been selected based on how special I am. True. And I actually have one more small tidbit since that was a quickie uh, for that. And this pours over. We can often feel overwhelmed in the production of marketing messages, but consumers are also feeling overwhelmed. And they did a survey in November of 2015 about the amount of retail emails that people get on a day-to-day basis and it has gotten kind of out of control on that front some are doing every day some are doing multiple times a day and especially during the holiday season it was like you couldn't turn around without getting some sort of tailored message about something you couldn't possibly live without people are feeling that there's a desire to create this relationship that exists between your brand and the the customer but it's definitely having a burn rate at uh, at this level It for sure is. Saxoff Fifth is one of the, (laughs) to be very specific, is the one that immediately comes to mind. Because I can say this with 99% certainty, I receive an email from them at least once a day. And I was kind of a rube at first because 
when they started coming in, they would say like 70% off, you know, now only until midnight, da da da. And I believed it and I clicked through only to learn that after a couple of emails, the 70% is kind of their standard discount off of the retail price. It doesn't mean there's a special sale. It doesn't mean there's any promotion. It's just we have some stuff and they'll say like, oh, we just got all this Marc Jacobson. And it's because they got a pair of sunglasses and a wallet and they're sending out an email. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice. It may be still shame on you. Fool me three times. Mm. We'll share the blame 50-50. Now I'm full on into this is all my fault territory because I still click on them because I just have that like maybe this time. It's really <laughs> sad. I should just unsubscribe. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lesson in there somewhere. Somewhere, but don't try and find it. No. (laughs) I'm too busy checking my (laughs) sales. (laughs) So what do you have now? So I have the story of a gentleman who lives in Berlin, and his name is Bernhard Einst. And you'll come to appreciate why his name is so great in a few seconds. He's 67 years old, and he is the king in Berlin of the techno scene. He has even renamed himself Comet. He is known across Berlin for his vigorous dance styles, and he didn't start clubbing until he was 51. He lived um, in another part of Germany, and he moved to Berlin at age 51, and he was like, this clubbing is amazing. And that's why I think it's so great that his name is Bernhard Inst, because like, like, that's who he is as a person. His goal now is to go to the Burning Man Festival. He has never been He's never been to the United States. And the reason that this came up this week's topic is because here's a guy who is just kind of throwing himself headfirst into being overwhelmed. And he's mastered an overwhelming scene. And so now he's like, I would like another overwhelming scene. He thrives in it. So he started a Kickstarter to fund his trip to Burning Man, his companion Tilly's trip to Burning Man, and then a documentary that they're going to make about it. Because of course. And he's asking for 18,500 euro. For 10 euro, if you pledge 10 euro, he will bless you with his cosmic energies. Well, thankfully. (laughs) For 5,000 euro, you will receive a hand-carved wooden statue of him. And really, who doesn't want that? One of the things that he's going to do if and when, and I think he probably will get here, is he intends to do a comparative study of techno music. He wants to study different types of techno in the United States, in the UK, and in Europe. Godspeed, Bernhard Comet Inst. I hope you get your trip funded. You're a braver man than I. Indeed. So what do you have coming up? John Maida, who's a pretty well-known design thinker and also designer, spoke recently at South by Southwest and he was talking about the future of design and how the idea of design is really changing from one that was based upon visual presentation and to experience, which we've talked a little bit about before. But he began to speak a little bit more proactively about three different tiers of design. One was classical design, one is design thinking, and one is computational design. And the two, design thinking and computational design, design are sort of the new ones that he's he's getting out there. And they have more to do with empathy that you have with your customer and adjusting based upon that empathy. And then also the scale at which you present your information. Explain. Well, you think about audio experiences. Mm-hmm. There's going to be interactions that you want to have. There's the way that structures and systems work. The ability to get a the pair of shoes at the exact moment, that process to mm-hmm. meet the style. 
the design of that process is just as valuable as the actual end product. And that's kind of where mm. the future of design is, is headed. And so getting more people to see themselves having that capacity or, or opening that part of their, their mind is pretty critical. What do you have next? People may or may not be familiar with the concept of therapy animals and emotional support animals. I think pretty much everyone is, is familiar with a sight-impaired person using a seeing eye dog. Or you may have seen on the news where sometimes people who have epilepsy will have a dog that can sense when they're about to have a seizure and will make them lay down on the floor so that they don't injure themselves. Well, therapy animals as a concept are becoming more and more popular across the United States and across the world. And you're starting to see them used now in court systems. You're starting to see them used by social workers when they talk to children. And I'm excited about this because I think there's going to be more widespread use, more widespread acceptance. And something that I did not know until very recently is that it's not just therapy dogs. There are therapy cats. There are therapy guinea pigs therapy miniature horses, and even a therapy hippo, which is really cool. The miniature horses, I guess, they bring into the children's hospital to like hang out with the kids because who wouldn't want to see a little miniature horse coming over to snuggle with you? And just in the past couple of days, there have been stories in the news about two Flemish giant rabbits. Their names are Betsy and Walter. They are therapy animals, and they go to nursing homes, universities, and other institutions, and they just provide emotional support. Also, they wear sweaters. It's adorable. There is Flint the Zebra in North Carolina. He's training to become an emotional therapy zebra. There are llamas in Portland and an alpaca that groups in Portland have started encouraging people to interact with because it lowers blood pressure and it makes people happier. And then, brace yourself, there's Chi-Chi. Chi-Chi is a dog who is an amputee. He had all four of his paws amputated. He is now in training to be a therapy dog for human amputees. And he started like running on his new legs days after his surgery. And the picture of him is awesome because he's just like, yeah, I love life. Read his story with a box of Kleenex, but it's a good outcome. So I think next will be to help people from getting overwhelmed in all different kinds of ways, more therapy animals. Like it. Well, we hope you take a deep breath and we hope to hear from you on the show's page at facebook.com slash graphic machine inc where we post the notes from this particular episode and all the episodes preceding it. Reach out to us at graphic machine is the Twitter handle of the agency at their podcast is the podcast handle on Twitter as well. And we look forward to speaking to you next week. Have a great one. Bye.